0: Power, it shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God, a power that enables a power that changes lives forever. The power of solitude. All right, well, I've been asked to speak on the power of solitude, like you just heard. And uh, I'm sure when you heard that, you were like, yes, that sounds great. <laughs> All right, well, maybe you didn't respond that way. But the fact is, for us, with solitude, for many of us, we don't get to experience much of it, do we? Aye. Because our lives have so many pressures, and just activities that are going on. We have relationships that fill our lives. And uh, media saturation means we rarely, if ever, get to switch off, right? Uh, Because we're in this 24-hour endless news cycle, but also with social media and uh, all the other ways that bombard us. And so I wonder what pops into your mind when you hear the word solitude? I don't know, maybe it's a picture of a monk or a nun, maybe. In a, in a monastery, uh, maybe it's something quite different. Maybe it's the idea of being in a crowd of people, but you can feel quite alone. Has that ever happened for you? Yeah. Or maybe it's uh, a picture of the great Southern man, right? Riding his horse somewhere in the South Island, probably. Uh, staying away from spades of beer, of course. Um, and, um, and just being alone, all right? Well, actually, you know what? With this power of series, that's not what we're talking about. It's something quite different. It's a spiritual practice. It's a rhythm. It's where we intentionally seek God in order to get to know God better. How does that sound? All right, so what is this spiritual rhythm of solitude? Be up on the screen. The practice of solitude is giving God time and space. It's not in competition with social contact, noise, or stimulation. Solitude involves scheduling uninterrupted time in a distraction-free environment where you are alone with God. All right, now, I know that getting alone with God might sound impossible uh, to you, but it is possible. You can do it. Because if we're to grow deeper in our friendship with God, if we're to have God's sustained power in our lives over time, if we're to grow deeper with a healthy self-awareness, it's absolutely essential that we do this through this pattern or rhythm of solitude, all right? And I want to point out it's important that the practice of solitude, it's it's a gateway or it's a container for other spiritual rhythms, such as silence, fasting, journaling, Bible meditation, centering prayer, a thing called the examine. And the examine is a, a way to, to tune in and learn to observe what God's doing in my daily life. We tend to do the examine like at nighttime or in the middle of the day. Contemplative prayer and intercessory prayer. All of those things are possible in the context of solitude. All right? So if solitude really is that important, then Jesus must have practiced it, right? He must have. Well, in fact, the gospel writers go out of their way to highlight how important solitude was to Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record that before Jesus began his ministry, what did he do? He had 40 formative days of solitude in the wilderness. Uh, Listen to what Luke 4 verses 1 and 2 say. It's up on the screen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan after he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And yes, I would be hungry after those 40 days. Well, listen, at least eight times the gospel of Mark stresses Jesus' pattern of going and having time alone with his father. In fact, in the first chapter of Mark, in verse 35, it says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke also picks up this thing in Luke 5, verses 15 and 16. Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Notice that. Well, we're going to come back to that pattern of Jesus's in a few moments. But I can hear you saying to me, you know, Eric, my life is super busy. It's pretty maxed out. So why really is this solitude thing so important? Well, Richard Foster, uh, who's an author, and he's best known for his book called Celebration of Discipline, he has this to say about the power of solitude. If we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they cannot control us. They do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. Isn't that good? A portable sanctuary of the heart. Well, what Mr. Foster is saying there is that solitude is this formative place because it gives God's spirit space to do a deep inner work inside of us. And when there's, where there's no one to watch, there's no one to judge, there's no one to interpret what we say, the Holy Spirit often brings us face to face with uh, hidden motives and with compulsions. That certainly has been my experience. The world of recognition, achievement, and applause just disappears and we're suddenly kind of front and center, facing God, with no props. And it was in solitude that Jesus did battle with this intoxicating temptation of achieving his kingdom and identity in the power of self, wasn't it? The devil offered Jesus a false self. That's what he offered him, a quick and easy way to achieve power and glory. And fortunately for us, Jesus didn't give in to that temptation, and it was a very real temptation for him Jesus chose his true identity as God the Son, as the Father's beloved Son. That's what he chose. And during his three years of ministry, Jesus returned again and again to solitude, where where the adrenaline rush of the attention and the adulation of the crowds could be put in their proper perspective. And that was essential for Jesus, just like it's essential for any of us who follow him and serve him. Solitude with God the Father was a way Jesus remained closely aligned with his true identity in God. And so Jesus was as committed to this inward journey as he was committed to the outward journey of his public ministry. Because for Jesus, one fed the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, there was no way Jesus could do one without the other. That's what he modeled to us. All right, so something I've wondered about is, why so often do we respond so strongly to criticism? Have you ever wondered about that? Or maybe that just happens for me. All right? Sometimes we're insecure. Or maybe we have a problem, you know, with pride, or we're not open to input. But it might be because we live in bondage of what others think of us. You know, we can crave the approval of people. You know that you have this addiction, this addiction approval addiction, if you habitually compare yourself with other people, if you live with a nagging sense that you are not important enough, if you get envious of another person's success, if you keep trying to impress important people, those and other signs are signs that I've got this approval addiction, that many of us have that. And it can be a real problem for pastors and Christian workers, right? Because we're very visible in public ministry It's a temptation to become approval addicts where all we care about is people's opinions, right? And it's like the old preacher's story who said this, I was leaving my last church and a woman at the farewell reception was weeping. Don't be sad, I said. I'm sure the next pastor will be better than me. And that's what they said last time, she cried, but they keep getting worse. (laughs) Yes, there you go. There you go. Yes, and of course that never happens, does it? Um, you know, and I've found that over 30 years, there's just the only way that I can truly avoid approval addiction is if I have regular time alone with God and open myself up to God and let God show me stuff that's going on inside of me. And if I, found, I find that if I'm feeling invisible or unrecognized, that solitude's a discipline that helps me get underneath the feelings as to who I really am. Who am I when productivity and recognition fall away and God is the only one watching? When we cut off the drug of doing and break the bondage to what others think of us, our feelings of self-importance in comparison, they fade away. And we're left to focus on what God thinks of us and not what others think of us. And we need to hear what God thinks of us. That's what's most important. It was German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, we're so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment with ourselves, in order not to have a look at ourselves in the mirror. So we need solitude if we're to unmask the false self and its important-looking image. When we are alone, without distractions, we put ourselves in a place where God can reveal things to us that might otherwise uh, not pop up. We might not see that. And that's what I have found. I've found that the only way that I can come into a a God-based, healthy self-awareness is if I have this pattern. I also, yes, I have a supervisor that I meet with, and I invite input from people like my wife and others. But really, only God can do what God can do, I, Only he can. Only God can actually tell me who I truly am and what my real self really is. And that comes from a very consistent, ongoing pattern of learning to wait on him and taking the time to do that. And I found that to be absolutely life-changing for me. All right? Over the years, I have found that God's there with open arms to accept and receive and love me. God invites me into this better balance of doing and being, right? Right? Our culture urges us to do lots of doing, right? So we have this huge amount of doing here, and the circle that represents my being with God is a much smaller circle. And yet, I've been around long enough to see people crash and burn and actually go into catastrophic burnout because of this over here, of having this giant circle of doing all the time and having this very small little circle of being with God. In fact, I had a pastor friend of mine in Auckland when I was up there pastoring a church. He was in his 30s, and he, and he had a catastrophic burnout. I, I couldn't believe it, that someone in their 30s, that that could happen for them. And the only thing that we figured out with our guy was that he was just a compulsive doer. And he actually didn't have this pattern going in his life. And he paid a really high price for it, Sadly. But time and time again, in solitude, God has met me with His overpowering love, reminding me that I'm special to him because of who I am, not because of what I do or don't do. And God longs for us to experience and live out of our true self in Christ, doesn't he? In solitude, we see how little or how feebly we embrace our true identity in Christ. We find the liberating truth of who we are in Jesus. We're loved by God. Isn't that great? And that God's pleased with us. And guys, we need to be reminded of that. Other people can remind us of that, but we need God himself to remind us of that. The identity that that God gives us, it's given by him. It's not earned by us. You know, when I first began practicing solitude amongst the many thoughts and feelings that bubbled up, and that's what happens, there are lots of competing voices as well. And these voices pull at us from all kinds of directions, don't they? They seek to own us and to label us. But in solitude, we learn to distinguish between God's voice and our voice and the voices of the world. And so if you struggle to hear God's voice, this could be one pattern that can make a difference for you. Joyce Rupp is a well-known writer, and she says this, to give ourselves to reflection is to become comfortable with slowing down, with stillness, with solitude and aloneness, with not being afraid to look inward and go deeper. The secret is to be faithful to the quiet and solitude, to continue to cry out to God and to make the attempt to be still in order to hear the truth. At these times, God says to us, on your weary days, just come and sit by the well of life with me. I will stay with you. Draw your strength and energy from me. And speaking of drawing strength and energy from God, I want, now I want to return to this pattern that Jesus had in his life and ministry, which the gospel writers go out of their way to stress for us to see it. It's a pattern that Jesus had where he had had time alone with his father in solitude, and then he had time alone with his 12 disciples, and sometimes with just three of them. And then Jesus and his disciples did ministry amongst the masses. And so the pattern, it looks like this. It looks like solitude, to community, to ministry. Jesus having time with his father to getting recharged and get his directions. Then Jesus having community where he builds relationship and community with his disciples. And then going and doing ministry, right? And we see this pattern over and over and over in the gospels. And the pattern is there for a reason. It's there because If we're to be faithful followers of Jesus, we have to do the same, right? If you or I, we don't see Jesus-type results in our life and ministry, well, we cannot improve on his methods, my friends. Uh, And this is what he modeled to us. It's partly why the thing of solitude is so important. It's partly why it's so hard for us, and it's partly why the forces of evil oppose it so much. Because the forces of evil know, they know that the source of Jesus' power was not his seminary training, his Bible school training. Uh, It wasn't that he had the Bible memorized necessarily, although he did. It was the fact that he had time alone with his father that was this life-giving friendship and relationship, and that was the absolute source of the power of his life because Jesus was fully human and he was fully divine. And in his humanness, he needed to be recharged and refilled with God himself. That's why this thing is so important for us. All right, here's some benefits of solitude, just in case you're not convinced already. Here they are. It quiets the internal noise so you can hear God better, which that's probably just enough right there. You can get set free from constantly living your life in reference to other people. How good is that? It directly helps you move away from allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold, as Romans 12, verse 2 says. It gives you time and space to internalize truths and insights, resulting in a more focused and effective life. And a very famous figure of the 20th century did solitude for this reason, and his name was Winston Churchill. And you may not know that, but Winston Churchill, who was not religious, he would go and have quiet moments of solitude for that reason right there. It would give him time just to reflect and shut out the voices that were competing so he could focus. All right, enables God to fill you afresh with himself, which we were just looking at that, with solitude, to community, to ministry. All right, over the years, I've practiced solitude in a big variety of ways. All right, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, I've practiced solitude in driving to work. Now, think about that. Many of us here, we drive to and from work. Well, you know what? Try driving to work or to school, if you drive a car to school, um, with uh, the radio off, and with the music off, and just have quiet, and just capture that moment, and just talk with God. Say, God, what might you want to say to me or show me? Although, keep your concentration, please, folks. Um, all right? And, uh, have a, or have a regular stop of quiet reflection with God before returning home from work. You know, when we lived in Oregon, my wife and daughters, and I worked in the business world in IT, I'd get really stressed out at the office, and I found I would come home and I would tend just to dump my frustrations on my family. And so I found a spot in a bend in a river that was near our house on the way home, and I would pull in there and just park my car, whether it was raining or not raining, because it rains in Oregon a lot, and I would just sit there in a quiet moment and just commune with God and, and, say, and just tell God what was going on. And I would just kind of whoop, push my stuff onto God, and just kind of give it to him, and have a quiet moment just to, to receive from him And guess who benefited from that? Yeah, my wife and two daughters. They benefited from that because I came home a different person. And I also benefited because I learned to listen to God and to hear his voice. In fact, God would speak to me about my coworkers and what was going on in my business work and world. And so that became an essential pattern for me where God would give me insights. And that would not have happened if I did not have this commitment to having the solitude kind of practice. Regular walks along the beach or in the mountains. Time alone in batches to pray and seek God. Early morning prayer. Regularly visiting retreat centers for half-day and full-day retreats, which I'm fortunate to be able to do that uh, in in my work. And my wife Karen and I, we did a week-long silent retreat at a Trappist monastery in Oregon. And the Trappists is an order of monks. They're actually called Cistercian monks. It's kind of a weird word, but they've been around several hundred years. And the Trappists are Catholic monks who allow non-Catholics to come and visit their retreat centers, all right? So that you come as a guest. And like the one we went to had an entire guest wing built for guests where it was away from where the monks live and and do what they do. And yet the monks would let people like us just come and jump into their prayer pattern, their, their Benedictine prayer pattern, which is pretty cool. Um, where you could just do your own retreat. You could go on walks, or you could be in your room praying, thinking, reflecting. Or you could jump into their prayer pattern, which was like chanting with Gregorian chants, although I don't do that. Um, and, and other things that they had, like silent prayer. They had like a whole building devoted to silence. Um, and so we, we got to jump into that. Um, and, you know, for, for an extrovert, solitude can be hard, Right. But when you add silence, oh my gosh, that can be impossible. Right, folks? And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert, and I found when we did our, our week-long silent retreat, the, the first three days, they were really hard for me. Okay? Like, really hard. Um, what do you think I wanted to do all the time? Yep, 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 yep. Really hard just to be quiet. And also, just all the stuff just kept coming up inside of me all the time, my mind just full of thoughts and ideas, Right? And so I got to the third day, and um, actually it started the fourth day, and I jumped into the prayer pattern where the, the monks had this building that was dedicated to silence. And you'd go into it, and you have to maintain silence the entire time you're there. And so I walked into a part of it that had this huge plate glass window from floor up to the ceiling that looks out on these giant trees. It was really gorgeous. But it's 4 o'clock in the morning, so it was very dark. And, um, and so I was kneeling down like this. And if you ever tried kneeling for a length of time, But it's a real hassle, folks. Um, When you you sit like this, because we're talking like for an hour, try it sometime. Um, And um, so we're sitting there, and um, I'm just kneeling, being quiet, being quiet. And all these thoughts are flooding up in my mind like would have been happening for the previous three days. Um, And then suddenly, at about the 20-minute mark, these voices and noises just stopped. And I just experienced silence true silence. And then in that moment, just as clear as you're hearing my voice, I heard God's voice speak to me. And God said something to me that was absolutely unique and real and right for me right at that moment. And it came with this overpowering sense of God's peace that just flooded me from top right, right down to my toes. And it was the most beautiful moment of, of an encounter with God. And you know what happened as a result of that? My life changed because uh, Eric the Extrovert became a fan of silent retreats, right? And, um, and I, I was hooked. I became hooked, hooked after that because of just what happened. And in fact, uh, partly why I'd been inspired to do that was a guy called Peter Scazzaro, who was and is a pastor in New York City, He's an Assemblies of God pastor, and he was, he'd started a church in, in one of the most ethnically diverse parts of New York City, the city that never sleeps, okay? And um, his, his postcode had 167 distinct ethnicities. Imagine that. And so their church was this very multicultural church and was busy and all kinds of stuff. And Pete was just addicted to activity and ministry and going for it, and he almost burned out. And in his almost burning out and being knocked out of ministry, he decided to reinvent his life. And in, in so doing, he rediscovered or discovered the contemplative stream of Christianity, which is this monastic stream. So he started visiting a monastery in upstate New York. And it just changed his life because he had never stopped. He'd never had a pattern of stopping and being quiet intentionally just to wait on God. All right? You can read about it in a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, okay, by Peter Scazzaro. I highly recommend it. It's an invitation to do life differently than the compulsive and obsessive way that we normally do life in the Western world. All right? There you go. That was just for free. All right. Now, listen, you might be a bit concerned about solitude, and so here are, you know, some helpful questions for you. All right, here's some questions that are going to be up on the screen. Question for you. How or when do I resist being alone? What troubles me or makes me antsy about being alone? When have I felt most comfortable being alone or most uncomfortable? Those are some questions you can ask yourself as you think about this whole thing about solitude and aloneness. All right, listen, do you think it's possible that we can give up staring at our smartphones, right, and become people that have some moments where we intentionally stop and wait on God? It's going to be your turn now. I'm going to invite you to give it a go, all right? So if you're taking notes, you can do that. Or if you've got photographic memories, well, you are fantastic people. All right? Because I'm going to share with you some ideas that I've gleaned from this book, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun, which I highly recommend. It's a really neat book. Um, and from my own experience, so I'm going to talk about some things that you can do. All right? Here's number one Have 15 minutes alone with God. 15 minutes alone with God. You can do any activity you want, you can walk, you can run. You can drive, but keep your eyes on the road, like I said. Um, But do it alone. Before you start, dedicate the time to God. When finished, consider, how was it for you to be alone with God? Was it hard? Was it good? Did God speak to you? Did he show you something? You know, what happened in those 15 minutes? This is a way for you to get started. All right, listen, maybe you're a busy parent Uh, And you're thinking, there's just no way that I can find time uh, to get alone with God. And that's true sometimes for us when we're parents. Well, listen, I'll tell you what. You can try this. You can try this. Showers of blessing. All right? There you go. There you go. Yep. Make the time that you spend in the morning in the shower time alone with God. How about that? Yeah, maybe some of you already do that. But, you know, you let the water of the shower just... Remind you of the the water of life that, that nourishes and changes us, changes you. Reflect on the miracle of God forgiving you of your sins. Just reflect on that. Let the warmth of the water remind you of God's love for you and for those that you encounter in your day. Offer yourself to God and offer your whole day to God. Invite his presence during your day. Do you think your day is going to be different? Yeah, it will. It'll be different. All right, how about this? How about have a, half a day with God? Set aside half a day for some time alone with God. Don't stay in your house. Go to a retreat center, a quiet chapel, or uh, a park, or a batch, if you can swing that. Uh, take a Bible, a pen, a journal. Turn off your electronic devices, if you can manage to do that. That's speaking to myself because I struggle to do that. But I need to do that if I'm going to, you know, hear from God? Stop and invite God's presence. Wait on him. Listen to him. Simply be alone with God. Record your impressions and your reflections uh, in your journal. All right, here's another one. How about solitude for goals? Hashtag solitude for goals. Once or twice a year, withdraw for up to half a day for the purpose of reorienting your life goals. Maybe some of you already do that. You could possibly do this in an evening All right? Find a quiet spot at home, in a cafe, maybe a quiet corner of a public library. Prayerfully reevaluate your goals in your life. What do you want to accomplish in one year from now? In five years? In seven years? Be willing to dream and yet set realistic goals that are both doable and a stretch. How does that sound? All right, well, two months ago, my colleague Brian Kirby and I, we were up in Auckland. We were to a thing called the Caleb Leadership Course, which was for two weeks. Part of it was this 24 hours of solitude where they gave us some assignments, actually, that we had to do during that time. One of them was they had us do a, a dream and goal-setting exercise. They said, during this quiet moment, reflect on your life. In fact, on nine areas of life, write down the way your life is now, in these nine areas, and then just write down some goals in these nine areas over the next seven years. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? Seven years. And so anyways, I set out to do this, and I found that God really touched me in this exercise, and it really just happened for me. Hey, it was very inspiring, very motivating. It just kind of flowed. And part of that, they invited us to write a letter about seven years from now to look back and say, oh, this is what happened in in the previous seven years. It was a really interesting exercise. And I really enjoyed it. All right? So there you go. You can use solitude for goals, and God can help to reorient yourself. All right, how about this one? Hashtag visit a monastery or visit a retreat center. If possible, if possible, I know it's hard, but do a full week retreat all right, if you can, and maybe have a goal at some point in your life to do it because it's not something that we can do, right? It's hard to get that time away, but maybe go to Copua or Southern Star Abbey, which is outside of Dennyburg. Maybe some of you have been there. It's a Trappist monastery like the one we visited in Oregon. I can guarantee you that a season of silence and waiting on God, it can change your life. There's, there's no question about that, all right? Or visit a retreat center, such as Totoki Healing Center, which is here outside of Fakatani. And maybe some of you have been to that. Or St. Francis Retreat Center in Hillsborough, uh, Auckland, where I used to live near there. And I used to just regularly go to St. Francis Retreat Center for half-day and whole-day retreats, just to be quiet and wait on God and pray. Or Vaughan Pork Retreat Center in Long Bay up in Auckland. It's a beautiful Anglican retreat center. And you can book in there. It's been an important part of my self-care, my walk with God, in doing these kind of half-day and full-day retreats. And yes, I'm fortunate to be able to do that. That's true. But I absolutely must do that, right? Where I can get my life reoriented so I can hear from God afresh. All right. Now, you might be thinking, I don't know, Eric, this sounds a bit hard, and I need some practical tips. So I want to I recommend a book, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. I know it's weird to have books that you touch, and they have real paper. Um, It is. It's weird. It's a weird sensation. And you can can probably get it as an an e-book. But uh, this subtitle says Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. It's just an outstanding little paperback book that just gives you some real practical things about doing spiritual disciplines in everyday life. All right? All right, now listen. We're going to stop and be quiet for a moment right now. We're going to do that. We're going to wait on God, and we're going to ask him, what might he be saying to us? What might he be saying to you about this? Because it's my heart that you'll put this into practice, just like I need to put it into practice, you know, tomorrow or this week uh, or maybe in, the, in this coming month. All right? So let's take a few moments. You know, sometimes church buildings are called sanctuaries, And what is a sanctuary? Sanctuary is a safe place. So in this moment, this is going to be a sanctuary, a safe place where we can connect with God and wait on God. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Instead of having the band come out and do a final song, we're going to turn this into kind of a, a chapel slash sanctuary where we're going to wait on God and listen to him. And so as we do that, you might need to get up and go and hang out with people in the foyer or in the cafe, and you're welcome to do that. But we're going to keep those auditorium doors closed for a while. And so for anybody that wants to linger, you're welcome to linger and actually put this message into practice. How does that sound? So I'm going to lead us in prayer in a moment, And then we're just going to go into a time of waiting on God. If you do need to leave, could you just get up quietly and leave? Because other people might want to stay. God of nations, at your feet, in the bonds of love we meet, We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that you seek us out. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and save lost people. We thank you, God, that you invite us to reach out to you and connect with you, God. It says in Acts chapter 17 that God seeks us. He wants people to seek him and find you, God, because you're not far from each one of us. For in you we live and move and have our being. God, we think of the psalmist that says, earnestly I seek your face. God, we turn our hearts to you now in this moment. What is it you're speaking to us? What is it you'd like to show us? If you're comfortable, I would invite you to put, change the way you're sitting in your chair. And just, we'll keep our eyes closed. You just physically change the way that you're seated. It's a way to open yourself to God. And you know what how that works for you. For me, I have to put my feet on the ground. I need to open put my hands out, my arms out. And open myself to God. Holy Spirit, we want to breathe you in. You're the breath of life. Spirit of God, I sense there are people here that are weighed down with great worries and anxieties and burdens. And if that's you, I want to invite you to the way you cast your cares upon God is you just, you just give them to him. You can breathe them out. You can just give it to God. Because God does not want you to leave this building, my friend, weighed down. What an awesome God we have that he can exchange our worries and fears and anxieties for his peace. Isn't that awesome? So, Jesus, we ask that you would do that. I'm going to formally finish this time now. and We're going to continue to be quiet, however. So if you'd like to stay and linger, feel free to do that. If you do want prayer, feel free to come up to the front and there'll be someone here to pray with you. God, we thank you that you're preparing us for eternity, that you haven't just brought us to this beautiful friendship with yourself in Jesus, the Bible calls being saved, to be made right with you just for today. We thank you, God, that you're preparing us to be with you forever and ever and ever how awesome that is. Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us here that we would cooperate with you in the work that you're doing in our lives, that you're creating us in Christ Jesus, making us more like your son. And I pray, Lord, that as we would go from this place, that we would be people who would be responsive to you, God, and to your voice, and that we would continue to grow and change and become the people that you've made us to be. And so I want to speak out your blessing over everyone here. Lord, that you would make your face shine on us. You would be gracious to us. You would bless us with your peace. We do that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.